Hi, everybody, and welcome to Exit Point. In this episode, I sit down with longtime friend and jumping partner, Rock Malnui. Rock brings an enormous amount of knowledge from his extensive experience in mountaineering, pioneering steep snowboarding routes in the Alps, and living in the Chamonix Valley with all the exposure to the joys and carnage these mountains can bring. And while I don't know him personally, his reputation definitely precedes him. He's a jumper that I have tremendous amount of respect for. He's got a great book out there, Le Best Jump, which I hope they translate into English soon so that I can actually read it. Um, he's also the first commercial base jumping school in France. And so I wasn't able to make it for this interview. I'm really excited to listen to it. He's also one of the only people we know who learned how to base jump directly from his dad. So while we could go on and on, let's let him fill in the rest. Without further ado, let's get Rock on the track. Um, for the listeners and people who may not know you as well, um, if you had to fill out a CV for a job application, because you've worn a lot of hats throughout the years, how would you describe yourself and the roles that you fill right now? Um, my CV, it would, there's a lot to say. <laughs> if it was for work, then I would stay in not, not all the sports I was doing and, and try to put the, all the things I've learned through the sports and for an enterprise. But um, for the listeners, I grew up in Lyon and moved to Chamonix for playing ice hockey, like in special studies. We have ice hockey in the morning and, and study in the afternoon. And Chamonix is a great place to grow up. There is a lot of things to do, a lot of sports, a lot of motivated people and friends. And uh, I've done this for like um, 10 years. And then having these mountains uh, above my head, I went uh, snowboarding with the friend, making some competition and stuff in half pipe and stuff like this. And then it was the time for uh, uh, some adventure in in the real mountains on the glacier and stuff like this. So we start learning um, climbing and making rappels and you know, finding our our descent through the glacier and stuff, following some friends' guides or some dad guide uh, guides, and um, and yeah, then I start doing some some big climbs and stuff like this. And um, my father was, was a base jumper at this time. So then it comes the time where I asked my father, hey, I want to do what you're doing for, for now 15 years. So I started base jumping really early. And then for my work, I, I, I used to, no, no, I was uh, working at Patagonia for 10 years also uh, in the shop in Chamonix as a, as a salesman. Uh, I was also an ambassador at this time for snowboarding. And then um, I passed like some, um, you say, um, uh, brevet d'état, which is uh, like um, state, sports. State recognized training. Exactly. For, um, uh, for middle, mi middle mountain guide. And um, after I worked um, one year and a half at Adrenaline. The, um, Adrenaline base, yes. Adrenaline base, yeah. Um, Jean-Noël Hitchstein, who's um, building some harnesses. And then I worked as a middle mountain guide for like three years in the Compagnie des Guides de Chamonix, which is a big association when there is like 300 mountain guides and middle, middle mountain guides. And then I have the idea of, um, of um, uh, building like a base jumping school because it was in my mind for several years. And this is where I am now. I'm, I'm running a base jumping school and that's mostly everything I'm, do, I'm doing during the year. Cool. So, you know, you've uh, you've done a lot of different jobs, mm. kind of like me, 
And uh, how long did you have this idea of having a base jumping school in your head? My dad already had since, it. Since yeah, yeah. Okay. So since I started, I didn't want to when I when I when I learned base jumping and I didn't learn for doing this. But I remember my dad telling me, uh, "Oh, there is already some base jumping school in the U.S. and I'm sure like uh, within ten years there will be maybe some diploma or some school in France and you will see things will go fast." So it was already in my mind. And when I was having free time, I say, hey, I know there is some school out there in Europe and why not one in France? So I go, <laughs> I go for that idea. And it was it was a good idea because I'm happy now running this, uh, this school. Uh, we're going to get back to the school mm -hmm. and everything um, and to your dad. Yeah. We met 10 years ago, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were going to open a jump. With uh, Mika and uh, Matt Curtis. Yeah, he was there. And uh, this was near like the Pointe Perse, which is uh, down valley from Chamonix. And, and we didn't uh, jump. We didn't jump. And <laughs> we, probably, we... thank goodness, I was so in over my head. I was so, had such low experience at that point. And so uh, we, um, I don't know if you remember, but we hiked along this ridge that was, uh, you know, pretty steep on all, very mm -hmm. exposed, a lot of crumbling rocks. It was uh, like a little bit nerve wracking for me at the time. And then we got over to what we thought was the exit point and Mika lasered it. Mm -hmm. Did he laser it or throw it a rock? He probably just threw a rock. Yeah. And it was something like uh, five seconds. And we're all like, oh, Jesus. All the like, <laughs> oh, like, and it so was flat. It, it was a flat flight. Flat. Yeah. It yeah, was a yeah. big glide to get yeah. out of there. And so we all like uh, thought better of it. Probably mostly thankful for me. I think that not, I mean, the best person that got away from that clean was me because I was definitely the lowest experienced person there. But so then we walked down just, I mean, we basically climbed down the rocks, right? And to get to a lower ledge to go to, to see a another ledge, exit, right? Yeah, that didn't yeah, yeah. work. And so we're like, ah, oh, shit. Okay. Well, we're walking back and we didn't walk. We didn't. This, uh, this is what I want to <laughs> say here is that, um, we just got to like a grassy hill and you could just feel the thermals rising up this grassy slope. And it was like, we had, we'd hiked something like five hours or something. It was really <laughs> high up there. And Matt laid out his uh, parachute, pulled his parachute out of his container, laid it down on the ground, pulled it up over his head after securing his slider and just flew away. He was like, I got to get to work. See ya. And I was like, <laughs> within five minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, this is like a paragliding pro. He just whips the thing out and starts paragliding his base canopy. I'd never seen or heard anything like that. And I was just like, oh shit. Mika, obviously not as graceful, but like did the same thing. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, looked over at you and I was like, fuck. And you took the time to like help me lay out my parachute, like lifted the nose or the leading edge, yeah. you know, waited for it to inflate. I pulled it up. And I uh, took off. And so you really held my hand through that experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think you've been holding my hand ever since. But um, that was my introduction or our introduction to each other. And yeah, uh, yeah we've had lots of really great adventures ever since. And uh, so I invited you here because I think you really have a lot to offer from your mountain experience, um, from all of the lessons you've learned through teaching people. And then just your own passion uh, as far as it comes to flying and base jumping and being in the mountains. So um, let's dive into that. Hmm. And, I, you know, we talked together the other day and we were talking about some of the episodes. And uh, amazingly, you dropped a bomb of a story on oh, me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I said, hey, you should check out Taz's episode. And you said, oh, yeah, well, um, guess what? So tell me, 
tell me, you know, we've tell known each other. We've been yeah. good friends for 10 years and you're just telling me about this now. So why don't we tell the rest of the world? <laughs> so it was when you told me that, that Taz has an accident where she, she hit the ground without opening her parachute. And then I say, oh, I should tell him too, because um, I had the same accident and she landed on the snow and I land on the snow. We had, I think, almost the same adventure and accident. And for like six, seven years, maybe a bit less, sorry, five years, I didn't want to tell to people. I say, that's my story. It's something very weird that happened to me. And I was not, I say, I'm proud of it because that, that's a failure in base jumping um, history and career. So that, that, that was almost a fatality. And, and of course, I didn't tell my father. I didn't tell my mother, uh, the mother of my kids and stuff like this. I say, oh, I keep this for me. And, and nobody, even the, the people I was jumping with didn't see it. So I was really alone to, to know it, to know it. So, and now by the time I'm teaching and um, people, uh, sometimes the students wants to hear uh, some story, they are as asking about accident and stuff. And, and, and I don't know, once I, I, I tell one student what happened to me because the, 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 the thing we were talking about was almost close. And I say, I, I, sh I think I should tell them because uh, it shows also that the sport is not always fatal in, in, in every accident. And then I start telling one and then through and three and then four. And then my, I, I teach, I tell my father, I didn't tell my mother. So I hope she didn't, <laughs> she wouldn't be too scared. Well, let's but, not tell her about this podcast. Yeah, yeah. But, but then, um, so the accident was, uh, uh, was in Brevent. So it was at home. I, I can see the Brevent from, from my window. Um, I remember that day I was pretty rushed. I don't know. I have something to do in the morning. And then Geraldine Fashnart wanted someone to follow her for getting some, some shoot of, of maybe her wingsuit or she wanted some, some footage of something. And then I rushed to go, to go to the top of Brevent. She was waiting. She had some people who was making photo shoot at this time also. And it wasn't like something very professional. It was like a friend jump, but j just put break on the camera because I, I want this, this, um, uh, this jump. Uh, we jumped together. She was in the front. Uh, she made a really good start and I was behind. I take some burbles and I was full. Um, I went to her side and a bit under, which for a cameraman is not a good place. So she turned straight right. Uh, I turned right also, but with a bigger turn, I have to recover a bit from this burble from the starts. And then she was like in the corner of my eyes, upper right. And then all the way I was try to fly to go to her place and reach her and I was like shortcutting because I know she will then reach me at the same point and at least get the second part of the jump so I went a little always on the right always looking in the corner of my you know visor in the in the helmet and I think I start to lose the flight lose speed and 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 go on the right and I do like this two or three times and at the last time I turned the head to see where I'm going then there was some lower tree and high uh, trees and my I hit the top of one with my arms and then all of a sudden then like one, two barrels and flips and then I was sitting in the snow and <laughs> Unbelievable. yeah and then you know you do like what <laughs> you do like normally you do touch your legs you touch your arms and you think oh I understand what happened to me but uh, I am okay because the brain can understand everything, but maybe your body is like out of work. 
So I was touching everything and say, oh, I have nothing. I was looking to my wingsuit. I think I had a little scratch. My parachute, I touched my parachute. Whoa, it was not open. So the, the story I have in mind is real. And then I take off the, the helmet and I have like a little scratch over here, over, over my my, um, right. my eyes. Yeah, because the helmet, I think, you know, the, the plastic thing just hits over here. And it was bleeding a little. And I was in the middle of uh, the mountain of uh, Brevent. So I stashed it again, I put everything in my stash and I went back to the Brevon. Geraldine was at the bottom. Oh, Rock, where were you? I didn't see you. Oh, I had something. I just land in the middle. I have some problem. I just land. Oh, okay, I do another one. Um, I'm okay for today. <laughs> so I went home and I have some girls. I have two girls um, and oh, dad, what two happened? Daughters, two, yeah. yeah, two daughters. And what happened? Oh, I just hit at the landing. I put my feet in a hole. Um, oh, that's okay, nothing serious. And then, okay, that's the whole story. And that was that was weird. Huh? I mean, that was. And then from this time, I always ask myself why I live on such an accident. And then I ask myself, uh, do we have something to do here in this life for not not being dead, where ninety nine percent of people sh sh should die? And then it, it changed a lot of my mind from 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 this point. You know, just starting out to the beginning of the story. Um, well, first off, holy fucking shit. Right? Uh, but starting off at the beginning of the story, um, your approach to this story is very humble. It really sounds like you had years to digest what's happened here, which is... Uh, I need it. Yeah, you needed it. Yeah. The sure. fact that you, weren't, you didn't tell anybody, too, is like, I don't even know if I would be capable of not sharing that. Um, but you said to me on the phone that you felt a little bit uh, ashamed. And like yep. just now you're saying that it was like you lost and uh yeah i mean that's definitely a real way of looking at it if you go in on a base jump you've lost the game like game over just to paint a visual picture for some people that know chamonix um i'm just assuming this is uh the ridge the payo uh, payo um the one uh, one before is not is okay, not the so biggest the very, ridge very first yeah and and because it was a ridge and, and a flat part that was also the 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 chance that i have it that some flat parts with some snow and it was winter if it was summer i think i won't be there game over yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah i had like a, a landing <laughs> landing couch of snow and like fresh it wasn't spring neither so right mm -hmm. well i bet you're videoing people a little bit different now Right. Looking, I think, you know, having a poor start, looking upwards, automatic, you know, you're craning your neck, you're spilling a lot of air. You're not in a, an ideal flying position. And then you sort of, you know, you were distracted by mm. what she's doing. Focusing on my subject, which my idea is was was to film Geraldine. And right. I, I say, oh, almost I, I will get at least half of the second part because I, I, I made a, a, a poor start because of the burble of the of the beginning. So, right. It's not an easy place to walk down to from either. Like, oh, no, it was snow. There was yeah, all snow all the way down. So it wasn't yeah. so hard to get down from there. No, no, no. And I was like asking, you know, I was like, hey, what I'm doing? And so I just walked down. And you mean you were you had a lot of time to think about what the fuck just happened? Is what was going on? Yeah, okay. I, I think I, I I remember I asked myself like hundred times, my parachute didn't open. I didn't <laughs> open the parachute. Damn. That, that's crazy. I mean, the, the thing you learn first when you're base jumping is like, whatever you, where you are, what problem you have, pull the pilot chute and open the parachute. If it's not open, that's game over, for right. sure. 
So you didn't even have time to think about pulling. No, it was no. like you hit the tree and yep. you're somersaulting and then you're sitting in the snow. Wow. The tree is like, like, I don't know, like 20 meters, 30 meters. So I was really too low to open a parachute. Yeah. And I didn't have so much accident in my in my life. Huh? Uh, I mean, even in uh, in snowboarding, alpinism, stuff like this. Uh, I know some people who have a lot of. Um, I mean, even small accidents or bigger accidents. I didn't have that much, but what what a real one, <laughs> right? Bucking or the up. same one, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think there is a. Um, this German guy who made a movie uh, who had the same accident, I think Reiner. in Brevon, Reiner, Herbert, exactly, and then Taz. And then I think I know, I heard one or, one or two Tom, Tom Eric told me about one of his Norwegian friends that okay. then later died, uh, but, had impacted and survived. Okay. So is there anybody else that we can think of? Uh, there's Eric Dos Santos. Yeah, that guy at the Egidimidi where right. he was like, Slow, slow, slow. We have the video of this one. Right. Yeah, yeah. So how many are we at there? How, how many did we just name? So it's five. Five. Six, yeah. So with you, six. Mm -hmm. And maybe then, more know, to come. More, more are hiding their accidents. Someone, someone told me after Taz's accident that there had been a similar accident in uh, Spain as well. That someone they knew they didn't tell me who, but that okay. they had hit a tree and just same thing, somersaulted okay. and survived. Mm. Wow. Mm. What a story. So we are almost at the point where everybody's asking us, hey, when do you will land um, a wingsuit without opening your parachute like birds, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> let's think to a stunt where there is like a good slope at a good angle with some snow and <laughs> let's ride it. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> for the, the question that everybody asks, right? Yeah. So, but you've done it now. Now you've done it. You're like, no, I think the parachute landing is much better. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Um, let's take it back to, um, you know, this accident aside mm. and everything like that. Uh, you know, you're running a school now mm -hmm. and, um, tell me a little bit about that because you've, it's grown a lot. Uh, you have multiple instructors working for you with, with you, sorry. Mm -hmm. And, um, you have different types of courses available. Mm. Uh, so tell me a little bit, where, where are you with that? Mm. Now um, we are running like a um, um, first jump course for beginners, people who are coming from the skydive, um, like once a month uh, from April to October, which is seven. And uh, we are running some intermediate school, uh, intermediate course, which is more um, like um, like trips, like in Morocco, in Dolomites, uh, like a, um, a road trip in in France, where you jump all these cliffs we have because we have a lot of here in around in Haute Savoie and and east of France. And uh, I have some um, uh, first jump course for wingsuits also, running at Brento. And uh, yeah, and now we have Branoir, uh, Aurélien Chattard this year, who's, uh, who's bringing uh, the knowledge of uh, tandem bays, which is, which is good for the school. And I'm happy he, he wants to work with us. And we are three, uh, even, uh, even four. There is one friend who, who will run one, one course uh, this year. So like four students and uh, four teachers, sorry, uh, working for Rock Drop, the, the, the school I'm I originally, originally think it was in 2016, I think. How many people are in each of your, of your courses? Oh, um, almost 100 now. So you have 100 people that have gone through your course? Yeah, yeah. Okay, wow, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. And all French? 
I mean, f speaking French, uh, so Swiss also, uh, Canadian, which is, yeah, great people. I love them. And few people from Belgium too, Luxembourg. Um, not so much uh, from um, outside of this, yeah, from uh, US or uh, English. There is some good course um, in English. So I think they, they prefer uh, having those guys uh, speaking their mother language. But we can, we, we do in English sometimes with some, some foreigners. So, okay. yeah. There's a lot of schools now uh, that have offer a similar sort of service that you do. Um, is there something that you could think of that sets you apart from other schools? Maybe the fact that we are in the mountains and uh, uh, we can offer uh, more than only first jump course. I mean, it, I always thought that, that it was um, more than just introduction. We want to have mentor, we want to follow them, we want to jump with them, even when they're outside of the course. And because we are all wingsuiters and, and good trackers now with the mono, like the mono, mono surface uh, suits, uh, we can bring them to, to a higher level. So I know there is some, some good schools outside there, but not so much can bring their students from, from the beginning to the uh, biggest wingsuit course. So zero uh, to hero, sorry, zero to hero. Yeah. Zero to hero. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Why not? And, and it's, and it's really nice because once uh, they, they trust you, then, then they are friends forever. And I know all of my students, uh, uh, family names, like, and where they working at and we have, uh, still contacts. And so that, that's a big family now. I'm, I'm really happy of having all these friends yeah, close to from, me. From the outside, it looks like you're really developing a community, mm -hmm. which is cool to see, yep. you know, like, uh, being on the WhatsApp group, uh, mm. there's like, I mean, there's people jumping every good weather day and uh, a lot of them have come from your school now, it mm -hmm. seems like. And, uh, and they always have like this group of people to jump with when they come here, even if they're from out of town. Exactly. Yeah. And there's quite a few local people here that are working in Chamonix that uh, have taken your course as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't get a lot of people from the U.S. coming to do your course, but um, there you do offer these excursions and uh guided yeah. jumping sessions. Exactly. This is super exciting. Like I think anybody who's listening from the US and like wants to go spend, you know, two plus weeks in the Alps and doesn't really know where they're going, um, or even knows where they're going and just mm. wants to get the insider knowledge on what the best jump is for that weather day, man, you offer an incredible service. Like if I was living in the US and, and wanted to come jump, even with my, you know, twelve years of experience, I think mm. that this would be for the logistics wise, yeah, exactly. Knowing where the good jump is that day, it, I mean, it's like a, a massive value that was going to make your your uh, your trip so much better. Tell me, so tell me a little bit about how those have been going. Um, we, we've run it only once uh, because we didn't have so much people interested. It was uh, one guy from Brazil uh, who's now uh, president of his um, uh, Brazilian base association, yeah? okay. and one uh, Russian, Russian also. All right. And um, so the idea is like to 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 rent a place to sleep for the for the people who's coming, and to rent like a, like a minibus and stuff like this. And each day, because we know well the weather around, and because there is multiple faces and and orientation of value, there is always one, one jump that is good even if it's raining in another valley you, you make one hour drive and then you're on the south face of another valley and then there is some jumps and here around I think I count like there is like 25 30 I can like more than 1500 denivelation jump which is which is perfect and awesome for wingsuits yeah. but it's like for uh, intermediate 
uh, jumper is not for right. beginners. So uh, like with a, a good um, knowledge of um, medium surface wingsuits, yeah, and 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 uh, good stars, like uh, yeah. Well, it's and, also been like COVID too. Like we, yeah, for sure. I mean, this is yeah. sort of you know. And even for us, I mean, I've planned two times going to Morocco when it was uh, before COVID, and when COVID's arrived, for sure, nobody wants to go to Morocco because it was too too complicated with the with the entry uh, stuff. So um, yeah, it didn't help for sure. But I think it's a great product because if someone wants to make a, um, holidays in Europe and and he can do his own and finding the spots um, and being in the adventure in the mountain, but he can maybe book like one week and make sure that he makes 15 jump with some guided people. And even he can stay there a week after and still go to that place because you know the access, you know uh, everything, the wind direction in the morning or in the evening and you know how high and, and get the contact. So. And then some people have to, they have to be fit too, right? I mean, because that's that's a strong week. Huh? We are walking every day, like two or three hours, and you need to be fit, yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, how do you? Is that's got to be something that you're uh, trying to filter from people? Like, how do you ascertain what their fitness level is and <laughs> if they're going to be able to like hang with the group? I mean, I talk with them, I explain, and I try to get the information and stuff, but after people can tell whatever they want and um, right. after we saw on the terrain if, if on the first day he's like way behind then then he's losing his time i mean and we are losing time and he's losing his money so it's better to be fair and tell us the reality and yeah. and we can always find a good spot or uh, sometimes we are two teachers so one can go to a long hike and one can go to an intermediate jump which is uh, down in the valley for example so right there is I, there is a lot of stuff to do really there's a yeah, lot of, there's yeah. a lot of stuff to, and i kind of forget about um when people are coming from out of town how amazing like vuillard and uh um and uh belvedere, belvedere. and all the, yeah like people are just like whoa this is and, amazing and, and you know and they're like dude i've done this like you know 50 times like i'm just like okay like is my before work jump right exactly <laughs> like we're so blasé about yeah. it but then people come from out of town mm. and it's just even amazing exactly. and even like quite a fair too that's like what an hour and a half hike and it's you can like, do in a, two in a day and one in the morning one in the evening if yeah. you want so that is a massive jump and yeah not so hard to get there mm. The school, mm -hmm. um, it, um, it hasn't been always super easy for you. Like at the beginning, there was a, quite a bit of resistance. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm not going to bring this up to, to badmouth the French uh, because, I mean, part of the reason, I mean, one of the great reasons and why I live here is the support I feel like from society in general to have this adventure lifestyle um, you know, whether it be affordable healthcare, um, you know, knowing that I'm not going to go bankrupt if I crash and, and need surgery and, uh, and then just the overall mentality of people and their understanding of, uh, you know, pushing the limits and, and these kind of pursuits. However, your school was met with a lot of resistance because I think it was the first official school in France, was it not? <laughs> Yeah, it, maybe it was the first one with the strong website. I mean, having like um, like a shop in the street. I don't have a shop in the street, but wants to right. say like to everyone, hey, I'm really building a school and I want to go. That's my project. It's not like a, um, something that you want to hide and just pay me cash. And we, if we have problem, don't say my name. So th that's not that kind of course for sure. And I think, yeah, I, I think I know why I had so much, um, not so much, but a little resistance from a small part of the community because... 
we are a lot to jump here in France and uh, I think base jumping has grown a lot uh, the sports have grown a lot with what's happening here in the Alps because of the access because of the population uh, French are um, are a big um, uh, uh, military uh, skydiving community so there is a lot of people who are switching also and our our character outside of, of France is um, some um, like uh, we are Asterix you know so <laughs> we have stuff to say and we are saying it so we are Latin also and same with Spanish and, and Italians and uh, at this time I think it was kind of protection maybe of the community of the spot hey will it brings uh, some people who have nothing to do in base jump then people were maybe scared that a school can bring someone who has nothing to do in base jumping because they have access to a course instead of making his own research, be, instead of going to the spot to know the people, to shake hands, to pay beer, to make taxi and stuff like this, where it was, it was the, the way to learn be, before the, the school exists. And it's still a good way to learn, but uh, I think the best is have uh, both worlds, <laughs> making a course and having a mentor and making some friends in the community. But, um, and then... I also saw a part of uh, jealousy because a few years after, uh, some people who was like a resistant of seeing a school build themselves a wing school, a school. So that means they were maybe jealous of the idea and say, hey, he has the, the balls to make this because we don't know if it's legal. We don't know if it works. And oh, I would love making my my job for base jumping <laughs> like right. all year. So. I think I I, have, I saw this from the the, the community. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but I think what I'm hearing from you here is that there's this side, the argument that it's better to learn how to base jump by finding a mentor, doing ground crew, uh, getting them to slowly teach you, and to have it keep it sort of underground. In your school, it goes against that as far as, well, not go against no, it. No, it's but not against. Yeah. It's another op opportunity or yeah, it's because a different path. For there is people who are not living in the mountain who cannot come to the weekend to see those guys who are already jumping, but they have good skill. They are good skydivers. They are even sometimes good alpinists, but just like they are not living at the right place. For sure, someone who's living in Chamonix, it's really easy to find someone who's base jumping and making friends and, and to learn this way. But for someone in the south of France or in the north of France, that's way much difficult. And it's like losing time for him. Hey, you, I need yeah. to drive like six hours to wait at the bottom of a cliff to maybe have a smile, to maybe have a shake hand because I say I'm a newbie and I want to learn base jumping. Right. It's not that easy. So... Um, so this brings those guys who have the good experience from skydiving and, uh, and all the experience outside skydiving and who are motivated and interested in base jumping um, to learn. And, and I saw within, within all these years that there are really good elements that they are not living in the mountains and they are jumping when they have free time and they are, they are good. They sometimes well. a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some, they are sometimes even more motivated because they are living far and they you know finish work at uh, friday and drive three hours to go to lotterbrennen and then spend two week, uh, two days and sunday evening go back home and you know so right yeah it's funny too living on location i guess we could say it's it's easy to just say ah i don't want to go drive you know 45 minutes to get to the start of the hike i you know like i got this and this and this to do i'll do it tomorrow or something you mm -hmm. know and it's, it's funny how it becomes something normal. But 
I think, I think there's a lot of ways work for a lot of different people, like mm. the progression path. And, um, I see outside of our sport that like in paragliding, in, uh, mountaineering, in, uh, scuba diving, in mm. free diving, in any course that I've taken in the past has been from an official instructor for a condensed period of time to receive an, a ton of information. I'm not, I'm not convinced that base jumping is so different from any of these other sports that it should be like this underground hidden thing that, or that that's even a more efficient way to learn something. Of course, when you have someone who's used to delivering this kind of information on a regular basis as a professional, the learning process is going to be a little bit more efficient and, uh, I'm going to say probably better, but <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we can argue around in circles yeah. with that one, but um, and there's and, also and, sorry, and you can ahead. still you can still learn both ways. I mean, I'm not replacing the old style. I mean, if you want to learn with your friend, it's still a free a free sport. You can learn and and buy your gear online and jump your, alone if you want. So you do whatever you want. It's just like another offer for some people and who thinks having a course is more efficient and more also more with more security for the for for your beginning because beginning is the i think is the worst moment in your career when you start base jumping once you're intermediate or expert you're outside of most of the accidents you don't you're not aware of and in the beginning you can do like serious stupid thing because you only don't know that it exists right so <laughs> worth mentioning here and then i have it in my hands here is your book mm. it's uh it's amazing man i'm yeah. uh, congratulations <laughs> when did you uh, first publish it um it was two years ago it was at the covid <laughs> because beginning of this book was first uh, like a uh, how you say a manual that i give to students like a um, Manual, yeah. Manual, okay. That's manual right. that I give to students, but it was only until starting tracking. And uh, um, so because I wanted to give some information and some stuff that I can go back after the course. So I wrote a lot of stuff. I read a lot of stuff. I I take all the articles that was online and just mash it in, in my head and like wrote it as, as my way of thinking too. And then I make like... Um, I, three months like on on bike in asia where i had like little ipad in the um, in my backpack and i each time i was resting i was i was taking one idea per day and writing all the stuff that i know and making some research and try to make one chapter per idea and then i, I start having accumulating a lot of information and 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 stuff and then when it was covid i say okay that's the time where now i need i need to put this clean to tell all the friends that i need some picture and i had some great picture and really thanks to all the people who give me their their picture uh, because i had some really good picture on it and yeah and then i say hey that's the good time to finish this and 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 finish my idea to making a book so now i'm giving the book yeah to to, to the students and that's a, a good manual for them it's a beautiful book. Mm -mm. Uh, I'm just flipping open to the introduction. I mean, I have a copy at home and <laughs> that I've read. Uh, and I think even at the introduction, you say thank you to COVID because <laughs> it's allowed you to have the time to write this. Yeah. I was it's at the end. It's at the end. Is it at the end? Yeah, I say thanks to COVID. Yeah. yeah. I'm in my home uh, right. in Chamonix facing the mountain with my kids and it's spring and yeah. I have free time, almost paid because it was, yeah. This is an extremely thorough book. Um, 
it is uh, it says material pratique et réflexion. Mm. So it's uh, about the gear. It's about the practice, and it's your some reflections. Mm -hmm. um, how would you say this is different than um, you know our friend Matt's book, um, the Great Book of Bass? First, because I know Matt well, and first my idea was to make a, a traduction of the yeah. uh, of Matt books, and then I start the three or four page, and then I say, oh, this is not my culture. This is not the French culture. Um, in the US, you are warning a lot, and there is three page of warning, 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 and say this is not French, and yeah. and this is also not my thought. Uh, Matt has a really good thought, and I I, I look in his book for a lot of things to to to. Uh, get idea but but then i say oh i think I, i'm i have enough knowledge and and with the story of my father and stuff i think i should write one and and then the process take f four or five years almost so um but w what's different i th what's different i think it's the um i take from my experience without telling too much about my experience, but telling about every, all the things I've learned, all the things I hear about the stories, about the techniques, about also the, the, the thought and the approach of doing bass. And um, yeah, and, and, and it's more um, on a French culture. I mean, because we have different culture, so uh, of bass jumping, yeah. What I notice in this book uh, that's filled with amazing pictures, like you were just mentioning, mm -hmm. um, It's a little bit more in depth than the book of bass on a how-to. I wouldn't say it's a how-to guide, but, okay. but I think that if you were just to pick up one of the two books, that this you would walk away with more understanding of how to do it, not okay. just yeah. about it. Yeah, because I know in the U.S. you're not maybe allowed to help too much people doing something that it's not it's very, so legal it's yeah, a very it, litigious culture exactly and, uh, yeah it's easy to find yourself in a and it's in, true in that he, he didn't want to uh, give too much advice on how to where in france no problem yeah yeah and, uh, speaking of that i'd like to come back to your book but i, mm -hmm. I also want to ask about this too because there's something unique about france in the fact that sports are divided and categorized nationally by a federal institution Mm -hmm. um, as far as like, you know, if you are an instructor for ice hockey or a ski instructor, there's a very clear and defined learning progression. Uh, you go to a special school and uh, you have a diploma and only then are you legally um, allowed to instruct. Mm -hmm. If I understand correctly, base jumping falls under an activity rather than an official sport. Exactly. So once the activity is not li um, list as a sport, you can do whatever you want. I mean, activity is like throwing beans uh, on, a, on a carpet. If you want to make right. course on throwing beans on a carpet then and you have students, then you can do whatever you want. But once the activity is linked as a sport, then the Federation of French Sports have to give these sports to a federation, to organize the competition, to organize the teacher lesson, uh, to organize the insurance and stuff. So it's a process that it, once you're listed, then a whole process is going on and, 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 and the sport is getting official. Then, then it's money spent by the government. And then because they, they are like a society, then it's <laughs> the money back. <laughs> so once we will not be uh, like uh, 1,000 teacher who wants to teach, Then, then nothing will happen in France because 
they don't want to see and it's and it's even a, uh, a dangerous sport to teach so there's all this uh, um, uh, stuff around around, around these sports it's like you know accident prevention yeah. prevention study but for example uh, to take an, uh, an example um, um, for the government to give a diploma to a mountain guide cost them also a lot of money because because it's dangerous because it's long and because the process is of course longer than being a, um, a tennis teacher for example i would say so because our sport is almost i mean as much as dangerous as a mountain guide it will cost them a lot to the government to give a certification and diploma to teachers so once we if we are only three they will do nothing but right. once we will be like 1000 maybe they will think about but we have time, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I think that there's a, an advantage to not being a sport, obviously. Uh, also, but it, it, it's hard also for me to, to find insurance to be, I mean, legal in, in, in the uh, society organization of a, of a business, you know. So I must find right. some solution. Yeah. You're operating in a gray area, it seems like. Yeah. yeah. The, I mean, you've told me quite in depth, too, about the, the sort of I mean, you sent uh, letters to the government. Mm -hmm. uh, you've asked a lot of questions. Yep. You've had to have meetings, and yep. and uh, so they're aware of everything that you're yep. doing, and you're operating in broad daylight. Exactly. Uh, I asked them question. I didn't get the answer. That means you're not interested. But if something happened, I can say, "Hey, I ask you a lot of stuff. You didn't give me the answer." So all I have to do is like my obligation was this, and so yeah, yeah, I'm it won't be easy if I have too much problem, but at least I tell them that I want to do this and, and for the good reason. Right. <laughs> to teach people to not have problem and, and, and act the good way. So, uh, yeah, this is how it goes. We, we have a slow uh, process organization in France. Everything. Bureaucratic nightmares, easy yeah. to say. You can tell, huh? you live in oh, France yeah. now. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah. Um. But, but speaking of lots of problems, um, you know, we're sitting here in Chamonix. I can, uh, you know, yeah. see exit points from your window. Um, there's been a lot of problems here. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure people would be interested and in, uh, to hear a little bit about what it is that really went happened here. And a lot of people ask me and or comment about it. And they said, yeah, well, people were just being so stupid. There were so many accidents that they decided to shut down. I don't think it's that simple. No, no. Um, jumping why you, yeah, yeah, yeah why don't yeah. you uh, why don't you bring us back like where what's the state right now what is allowed and so the state right now so we are allowed to jump from um, all the exit in the range of Mont Blanc except Aiguille du Midi and Brevent um, the Meyer was afraid of having this uh, activity brings by cable cars uh, and the easy access of jumping Brevent and Aiguille du Midi so now we're not allowed to jump from from those exit but you can jump from all the other exit which is not so easy to access because we are in real high mountain and you need some mountaineering skills so uh, i think they were really uh, scared of having too much people because when when brevon Igumidi was open uh, then within like what six months all the world 
who has enough experience when to jump here. Some people rent ha houses and, and tell people, hey, come here. That's uh, the new place to be. You can jump in the morning here, in the afternoon here with a cable car. You can do like 10 jumps a day. And um, it was an absolute dream, man. Let's, yeah. It was I'm, the golden I'm, age. Of I'm nostalgic of this time. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, this is how it happened. And then, and then we organized, everything went fast because we tell the mayor, hey, we know that with the internet, a lot of people will come. We need to organize. We need to find landings. We need to take a, a schedule because there is paragliding in, in the same place. And we need to find solution and, and as, as fast as possible because we are going faster than your rules for sure. So we start making meetings with all the uh, all these people who are taking decisions in Chamonix. And uh, we, we, we almost find a good... Um, a good and um, a good rules for like two or three years, and then one accident. Those, those rules were you had to jump from the opening of the cable car until eleven o'clock. Yeah, exactly. Or did it start at ten and then 10. It went to eleven? Right. Yeah, we move a bit because we find. I mean, we adjust the rule. Yeah, because the thermals aren't yeah. super active until exactly. eleven anyway, and the and, and this was only for Brevon side because yeah. there was a lot of activity in paragliding. We wanted to share the the sky with those guys who were here for like thirty years right. already. Yeah. So we say, hey, we are aware we, that we are new in the sky and we, we need to share. And and for them, before eleven, nothing happened because the thermal was not there, and it was perfect for us because we don't yeah. want too much thermal. No, so yeah, nice and then air. on Eguindimidi side, which is north side there was no rules we tell them that it's at 4000 meter uh, there is strong winds and there is often uh, not so good weather sometimes so the 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 timetable for jumping over there was was short so we say and then it's a technical jump so uh, they say okay we leave it we leave it aside we don't put rules on this and we keep this for two or three years and then one accident arrived uh, where a guy um, didn't find his pilot chute and didn't open his uh, uh, his parachute and and hit um, a building. We were, were by chance nobody was living in and around and it was like a, um, uh, it was an apartment kind of, building under construction. Yeah, under construction. So uh, and then here the mayor really scared because he understand that if we don't open the parachute, we are real human bullets. So he say, hey, I need to protect my population, which is through i mean i'm living here in chamonix the exit of Eguidumidi is right here i didn't want someone to hit my terrace here with my daughter playing on the terrace so i, I really understand that decision but what i didn't understand is how long the process was behind i think it took us like 10 meetings and and, and three years to find almost the same solution by saying let's close this and this let's open what is technical to access to and let's play i mean you you cannot ban uh, you cannot ban an access to a mountain. In France, is, is we have a strong uh, culture of, of letting things free when it's uh, to the access of the nature. I mean, they never ban uh, a slope for skiing. They never ban a place for, uh, I don't know, for, for, for mountain bike or stuff like this. So, um, And we thought because we are little and because sometimes we scare people, uh, we were not taking us serious. But, but then we still wanted to play. And, and, and then I told, I mean, we told them also that in our culture of base jumping with all this building and, you know, the, the culture of jumping some illegal stuff sometimes, uh, I told them if we don't find solution, it can be worse than finding strict 
solution because we have the habits of jumping that something sometimes is illegal and and it gives more uh, also danger by going there and knowing that it's illegal because you can be caught and stuff like this and and we need full um uh, full uh, capability for jumping such such jumps they are not easy jumps so this is where we are now and now it's open in some ways with this regulation so people are welcome to come but um, it's not easy access for the other jump outside Brevon Iguidimidi yeah I was mm-hmm. um, obviously as you remember uh, a part of quite a few of those meetings mm-hmm. um, as a representative of the international community yeah, yeah, yeah true and uh we were very divided from the beginning. It was um, two different uh, base associations mm-hmm. that had a very, and not just associations, but also individuals who had all three very different perspectives of how uh, the process should be um, handled. And there wasn't any communication to get on the same page. And I think, you know, I was very passionate about the subject. I mm-hmm. was living in Chamonix. Uh, I was working a night job that allowed me to jump a lot. I have over 500 jumps mm-hmm. in the valley. Um, you know, this was my life. Mm-hmm. And I was extremely frustrated. Mm-hmm. For one, that it felt like we were acting like children. Um, that, <laughs> you know, everybody was sort of like pulling for what they thought was their best Interest, yeah, and uh, mostly operating out of fear too. Um, that we that that jumping would be banned completely in France, Mm. and uh, you know, I I was a little bit naive, maybe I still am. Um, (laughs) that uh, I thought we could come together and uh, you know, have a, a common goal behind this, and this isn't the first time something that's happened like this in Chamonix. You know, if you talk to old timers like Jean René, he'll tell you about paragliding. Uh, it was banned in Chamonix Valley for, I think, five years. Yeah, yeah it was a nightmare also. And True. almost the same thing. There were mm-hmm. some accidents. People yeah. crashed into houses. Mm-hmm. They banned it. And then the thing that was the solution was to start an association and uh, or a club, I think it was. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the exact uh, terminology that they use. And that's how... I mean, I'm not going to say that, that base jumping or wingsuiting will ever be the same, but it's like a family sport. Paragliding is a family sport. Mm. And every nice day you can see paragliders in the sky, professionals making a living on it. And um, it's, uh, it's been possible to, to make that. So, but, you know, we're still babies in, the, in the, the sky world, the sky sport world. Maybe one day we'll grow up and, uh, and, and have a little bit of maturity and, mm. and be able to organize ourselves. We don't want... I mean, the community doesn't want to to see like a federation arrive, but in in this case, for example, it brings a good solution. There is only one who give an answer and 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 an answer to the to the to one problem, and and then the the the, the people have just have to follow what he's saying. So we want to still that base jumping um, stays like a free sport, but in some ways, having a struct a structure will help. Yeah, it will help the exit, the landing problems, and all the you know the the the, the authority you know uh, talking and meetings and yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, the one comparison that I think that I could make would be for speed riding, which mm-hmm. is a uh, you know I mean our levels of danger are very similar, and the and the complexity of the sport. There's a, a you know a ski station called uh, Valfrejus, and uh, they're 
they handle things differently there. If you want to speed ride as a beginner there, you have to have a diploma. Um, like a small certification a of small introduction certifi- to the sport. Easy, yeah. but you have, and you're, you're, there's a link to you as far as insurance about the little basic uh, experience that you bring. And so I thought that was something like a, an example that mm-hmm. we could have used. Um, you know, I mean, that's obviously come and gone. Maybe in the future, this is something mm-hmm. where we'll go as there's more and more jumpers. But um, that's the example that I thought that we could have adapted uh, mm-hmm. effectively. But that didn't work. The last meeting that I went to, the mayor sat down with us. There was two of us. And he said uh, that he was on board. He was ready to open the Guida Midi. And then since then, uh, they changed their mind. It changed mayor also. So the team... Oh, it changed mayor, right. So that was why also it took time. Because then when, you know, when a new team is coming, they want to know things. So get back to beginning, you know, get the document, get the project. Right. So... Yeah. So do you, are you happy for that? Or do you think it's a good idea? Tell me, what do you think? Cause I think that selfishly I'm like, wow, I really wish this was still open so that I could just <laughs> come and jump all the time. And then there's also a part of me that says that, fuck, we just have people crashing all the time, you know, and it would just ruin it. Or maybe we need people to crash to progress. Maybe we need this as an evolutionary step in our sport. That, I mean, people you know, crash in every sports. Yeah. And yeah, I think there was also a solution. I think I'm a bit sad that we didn't fight for our uh, local spots uh, because I think there was also a solution that could work too. But maybe the, the other solution that could work could only work with uh, people uh, who's jumping, who are more and more serious so maybe those solution can be um, can be validate in five years ten years with with the community growing and understanding things and having other example outside um, so let's see I think it's a good thing that it's reopen again so that was the first idea let's let's reopen and and and, and after you know readjust the rules maybe uh, each year and see if people coming from out of town who don't have mountaineering experience they want to make it to is there can they hire a mountain guide to yeah take i to think the exit point? yeah yeah they can hire mountain guys there is few mountain guys who are jumping also um after some exits can be done without too much um technical uh, uh, knowledge in in, in montaigne but it's for sure is, is contact the locals i mean some of the locals have good skills they can bring you and uh and go jump those stuff yeah yeah so which which ones are you saying um maybe not as complicated Aguidalem? yeah Aguidalem, yeah, yeah there is a i don't know um <laughs> which one uh Aiguidulem is not that complicated you need to with the right like, conditions yeah. exactly and and with the friend who has the knowledge or yeah. if you have your own but it's not that far i mean going to dans du géant also for example is like a big rope to pull it's still high mountain you're 4000 you need different condition and stuff but um it's not that complicated to go on top yeah 
one of the things that uh, really impressed me about a project that you did was uh, opening an exit point in Antarctica. <laughs> yeah, that was a holdup huh, for sure. Wow. I didn't tell yeah, but I, I have the opportunity to, to work as a, as a, um, uh, you say, um, charpente. Um, okay, you're a carpenter. Uh, carpenter uh, in Antarctica. Uh, for a season of, of three months, and um, the own, not the owner, the the, um, the director of this uh, association who take care of the of the place over there, uh, he's a mountain guide, and and he has done a lot in like traversing uh, with skis Antarctica on his own for like also three months on his own, which is like. A, incredible project and um, he has been doing some paragliding and of course he's a good mountaineer and when I told him hey you know uh, I'm also a base jumper I'm a skier and I'm a snowboarder and I'm a mountaineer and uh, what's the extra kg can I bring uh, to Antarctica he said oh you can bring whatever you want I say can I bring my split board and my wingsuit I say yeah bring it and we will see what's the condition and he was a bit afraid first to tell to, to give me the access of, of this mountain because there is no rescue, there is no nothing. Sometimes you don't even have a map of the place. So if you go in a, in a, in a valley and you, you go to a pass and behind, maybe you're not able to come back and being lost in Antarctica is not a good idea. So <laughs> I, mean, I, think, I think it's easy to say that this is one of the most isolated mountains in the yeah. world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's south huh? let's tell to people it's it's um, south pole and Antarctica yeah. sometimes they they, they, they switch with everyone listening knows that already but yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> yes no sometimes <laughs> I tell that I went to Antarctica and they thought it's north north pole oh, it, it's the All south right. pole and it's a continent so um yeah and it's very uh, uh, remote place so you don't want to be lost <laughs> over there and one day we have uh, during the season we are working six days out of seven and every Sunday we are free and I tell him hey I want to I, I saw this place I went already two times by foot and I know there is enough vertical to jump and stuff and we spent um, uh, three days before uh, uh, together um, in a place working together with the boss and he understand from where I was coming what's my knowledge and my background and stuff I think so this is what he get the trust and this day he say okay go with this group go to the summit it was with the mountain guide and I know the mountain guide he was a good friend so he, I bring everything and I, I went to the exit I look at the at the exit I don't even throw a rock or whatever it was perfect <laughs> it was so slightly overhanging uh, 250 meters so you don't need to to throw nothing you have the the skill by the the knowledge and and it was an awesome, an awesome flight. I yeah, mean, it, it looks amazing. Yeah, and I was, and I was wearing like only like a fleece, no, no gloves, which normally in those places you wear everything. Right. So the condition was really perfect, and the flight was incredible. Incredible. Yeah, yeah, and long, yeah. and some some place to to play with, and uh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, the next year, I opened another spot on the same mountain, but going to another valley. And yeah, that was the two jump I made in Antarctica. So yeah, that was an incredible time. Yeah, <laughs> just watching the video yeah. and just knowing how remote it is and uh, just, wow, it really, yeah. 
But I, we we got onto the story because I was asking about your own progression. Yeah. Um, how where are you at with jumping these days? Like you went for a jump this morning. Yeah, I went to jump this morning with some friends, and that was my um, re, how you say um, recurrency jump. Recurrency recurrency jump for for five no four months maybe four months yeah okay. so easy so yeah now um, what did you fly what were you flying. Uh, uh, from Vuard. Okay. Yeah. With what the, suit were you in? Yeah, the, the Aura 4. Aura 4. From, yeah, yeah. Okay. From, from Squirrel, uh, the biggest suit. And um, yeah, it was fun. I mean, for sure, it was an easy jump. I jumped this place many times. But uh, so far, I'm, uh, uh, I get, I get um, a good, a good uh, way back in progression by jumping those mono suits, you know, like the uh, Mutation and the ETMD. Right. And uh, uh, it was fun to, to take another toy and progress uh, with it. Um, but outside of this, I've, I've done a lot. I've jumped a lot of stuff, even open new stuff and, and in high mountain. So um, I'm, I'm more focused on, on bringing my knowledge to the students, organizing things, um, having fun time than, than real progression. And also testing um, the, the new toys that it's coming is really fun. I mean, there is a five cell canopy coming. Uh, I will very, be very excited to have jump on it. So uh, this also what brings my motivation back, having, having new things. Yeah. 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 The, the progression for me too with the mm -hmm. mutation too um it, it did really bring me back to like being a beginner again you know i was wearing the fly sight wondering what kind of glide i'm getting mm -hmm. you know measuring my start um and uh, un, you know trying to understand how much was you know glide do i have how steep can i go the margin much, yeah all the yeah, margins yeah, yeah. It, it reminded me of my first days of, of, of wingsuiting yeah exactly yeah and that was a, that's really fun uh so i've been enjoying that you know, now that you're getting recurrent again after uh, a couple of months off, do you have a process uh, that, to get ready? Do you visualize at the exit point? Do you have, for me, when I jump with you, it's so relaxed. You're so nonchalant. Um, you know, it's like, it's like you're taking the trash out, you know, like it's, and even when you land, you're like, it, the excitement I, 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 meter doesn't even spike, you know, <laughs> like you, I have somebody that like we just spoke with LeBlanc, like LeBlanc is like at the exit point, like <sighs> hyperventilating. There's so much excitement. He's emotional, you know, uh, he lands, he's screaming and, you know, and rock, you're a rock. <laughs> That's true. I mean, this morning I was like this. I was, I tried to relax as much as possible. I tried to listen to my, uh, you know, um, uh, heart beating and try to put it down, you know, and, and say, okay, I'm here because I know I have the skills. I check everything. My gear is good and everything. Okay, that's that's the same as the last one four months ago. So let's go for it. And then I'm 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 really um, uh, in confidence with the with the skill I have on the moment. So I know. I have recovered from, from a lot of stuff and uh, I have the ability of, of, of doing this again. So I'm not very stressed at exit for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so this is what also I wanted to add because the students um, often told me that having someone teaching them who is not stressed for them uh, helped them a lot. 
and I have other students, other uh, teacher who was more stressed and, and they were saying, I say, oh, this guy, uh, we were here, I, we can see that he, by telling, oh, you should do this, not this, and this, and not this, giving more, giving them more stress. So projecting their yeah, own stress yeah, onto yeah, them. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm a relaxed is there, guy. So this is something that's conscious, conscious from you, like you're trying to remain calm. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. you said you're trying to slow your heart down. How, how are you doing that? Like deep breath. Deep yeah. Breath. Deep breath and hold. And yeah. Do you, do, do you have a specific pattern that you follow? No, no, no. It's just like listening. Sometimes I don't even take care. And sometimes I say, oh, I can hear my, my heart going like boom, 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 boom. I say, okay. And then just calm. It's like, um, but no, no schema. Yeah. No, what? Uh, uh, no pa pattern. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So. Right. Interesting. Uh, everyone has a little bit of a yeah. different. And so then you're not, um, you're not visualizing your jump. You're just relying on the, your past experience. I'm not saying this is wrong. I'm just trying yeah, to yeah, get, yeah. In, get in detail. Um, no, I'm not visualizing. I, I just remember that. I know how to do a good exit and I just relax as much as possible because being stressed and being having control and stuff can bring you to something that you don't want sometimes where taking the information and, and, and act with the information. If everything is going well, why moving? Why, I mean, forcing the, the stuff. So I know where I will be um, flying, of course. I mean, I have the path of the, of the flight and where, uh, where I will be with my friend jumping to me. I will be on your right and I will be behind and at the landing we will split. I will go left, you will go right. For sure, this is planned, but on, on visualizing the, the, the exit and stuff, not that much. Yeah, I don't do that much because it was not a technical also exit. I do more when it's like opening a new stuff that it's slow. Then I say, OK, I must be like this and like this and like this, like reminding step by yeah, step, step by step. Mm. Uh, you're also motioning with your hands. Like, yeah, uh, I know what to do. The yeah, grippers yeah. And then reaching for the pilot chute. And, okay. Yeah. But I don't do that much. I, I, yeah. I can see some friends who are reaching for the pilot chute like 30 times. A I go once, tick. it's yeah. here. Okay, in my mind, this is clear. Get out of the way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think to something else. I know that this is uh, your calm demeanor has been great for me because, uh, you know, we've been some... Uh, some pretty gnarly <laughs> spots and uh yeah just being with a partner mm -hmm. who's uh relaxed mm -hmm. helps the helps the whole group for sure just to like have that confidence mm -hmm. i think this was uh bring to me by doing a lot of mountain like mountaineering brings a lot of time you're 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 way much longer in in danger for for me mountaineering is way more danger that than 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 wingsuiting for sure do you, do you think being in the mountains is more dangerous yeah i mean doing alpinism Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I've been going in the Himalayas without rescue for like several days on the mountain, sleeping on it, making hard stuff. And uh, for sure, being in danger all the day, even one week, um, you have to learn how to deal with your stress inside you. You can't be stressed for like seven days. So you need to deal and say, okay, I control this. I don't control that. Okay, take care of this. And your I cannot... Point. You're pointing at your stomach, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah, because the, the yeah, stress is here lives, in your right? stomach. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it lives here, <laughs> yep. for sure. So um, yeah, the the, the mountaineering experience really helped me by 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 doing wingsuiting. And I've been a, a mountaineering and a and a steep uh, snowboarder before being a base jumper. Yeah. 
For sure. That's, that's right. I mean, I know from my climbing experience that, you know, you're scared, but you're not scared for just being at the exit point. You're scared <laughs> all day long. Mm. And, uh, and uh, taking wingsuiting into the mountains, uh, especially for alpine ascents, uh, and sometimes you know a couple, even if it's just a couple of moves where it's tricky, like you know you're wondering if you're going to make it there on time, you know if the conditions are right. There's this constant noise in your mind about evaluating safety and reevaluating and reevaluating, mm. and uh, it's for sure it can be exhausting. Mm. Where uh, your run of the mill wingsuit base jump is like a hike you're able to relax while you're hiking and then um you know at least the exercise sort of calms your nerves and then at the exit point maybe you have like five or ten minutes where you're like anxious you know if it's technical and, and then it disappears and when, it's gone yeah you 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 leave your feet from the, the ground and then it disappears because the adrenaline is here your focus and everything so it doesn't last that much have you ever experienced fear in the air Even in my accident, I didn't have time to have fear. So no, I would say no. I've never experienced yeah. fear in the air, um, which is really strange because there's been twice where I came really close to death mm. and uh, th there was no fear whatsoever, mm. which is, is a wild... Yeah, it's weird, it's wild, huh? isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about your dad because oh, yeah. <laughs> this is super interesting. You learned how to base jump from your dad. Yep. And um, I don't know if there's anybody else out there that's learned from their dad. I know the inverse. That's funny. The Giga Gagliardini, okay. it's the son who learned to his dad. Okay. His dad was a, um, a paraglider and speed rider. And he, the, the son learned first and, and teach to his dad. So my father was... Um, Uh, he, he learned skydiving after his um, uh, army official one year, you know, um, uh, course. Uh, when you have 18 years old in France, it's a mandatory. Uh, mandatory it was, service. Yeah, yeah, it was. Now it's not anymore. And he get, I mean, he loved and get fan of, of skydiving. So after uh, he, he was in Lyon and there was a big group of, um, of jumpers with uh, uh, Patrick de Gaillardon, uh, Laurent Bouquet and um, Bruno Pass and all those uh, famous names of, of French uh, uh, jumper in skydiving. And he, he done this for like 30 years. He'd even work for the Federation of Skydiving in France. And um, he was importing the gear for skydiving. Uh, from the U.S., it was Javelin at this time, and my mother was uh, sewing the suits for the, the skydivers. So they were um, really a couple and a family. We were on the boogies and stuff like this. And by going to the U.S. almost every year, twice a year, uh, he met those guys who were starting over there with Marta and Todd, who run now Apex. And he get friends with them, and he started base jumping over there with only from uh, antennas. So there was really a time where uh, Americans was only jumping antenna and French was getting back to, to, um, uh, to, to France. And it was the time where they didn't know if jumping a cliff was dangerous or not. And then some people start jumping, Eric Bowe will start jumping a cliff and then it brings another story to the sports. And then he was still going back and forth from US, getting information, changing with them, uh, bringing gear. So he was also um, the first one to bring back gear specifically made for base jumping into the continent in France, I mean, from the US. And he was suing himself. So he was also the only one of suing um, pilot shoot up to 42, 48. So everybody who was starting base 
pass through the house to get a to get a pilot shoot. So, and this is where the French based association start also to get the information inside France. So, and then he was really involved. And he starts, uh, uh, yeah, making, I mean, teaching the people who wants to start because he was one of the first with all the friends. Uh, it was a small group. It was 10, 12 people at this time for like 10 years. Um, uh, Xaver Bongar also, in, who's famous, who was famous in, uh, in Switzerland. And he's an American, I think. He was a strong climber. Um, and... Um, So, uh, so I start base, I was 23 years old and he was at the end a bit uh, of his career. We jumped together two years and I remember he, he really waits that I was really motivated to start this. Uh, I remember I was talking to him, say, Hey, I want to start a uh, base jumping one day. And he said, yeah, whenever you want, but You need to learn this, you need to learn that. And once I was... What was this, learn this and learn that? What, what was that exactly? I mean, um, he went to me that it was not like a, a kid's uh, question or... Um, uh, he wanted you to have some real intention behind it. Exactly. I don't have the words, but you helped me. <laughs> uh, because he knows that it was a, a difficult sport and he wants that it was not like a, a kid asking to his dad, hey, can you bring me roller skating? No, this is a sport. If you want to do base, you need to really want and, and be a base jumper. So, so come with me, come and see with us. Um, let's let's uh, let's start packing. Let's uh, let's order for you like a gear, and uh, and then I will bring you to to the exit. And I didn't. I, w I was not uh, skydiving at this time. So uh, he said you must go to skydiving first. So um, so one summer we went together skydiving, and I do my my pack. So it's AFF in English. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the months after, I do like. 20, 20 jumps, so total it was 13, uh, 30. And he said, okay, you're ready. <laughs> Because I think, how can a father know more than his son that is be ready, you know? So he, he was saying that uh, um, I was so easy at the exit. He knew that I was already climbing north faces and riding steep faces. He said, okay, I think you have the skills and you are really easy in the air. Okay, let's do some PCA and we will see. And so... So you guys were doing some two ways and skydiving and you were nice yeah, and relaxed. And exactly. Calm and But I was only doing, I mean, belly jump. I mean, right. nothing more. Huh? And he didn't, I mean, he wasn't so strict at this time. After study jump, he said, okay, let's go. And we went to that bridge in Switzerland and we, we made two PCA. And then I go to Lotto Brunner at Yellow and make my third jump over there, which is like a super I mean, short introduction, and right. but but because he was there, we were jumping after for two years together. So, um, so this is how I start, and, and and he quit. He was 50 years old. Um, he has done like three uh, thousand jumps, I think. Wow. Yeah, and he he quit one day. He wanted to make a, a road trip in South. Uh, America with bike and he sell a lot of his stuff because it was like a one year and a half trip so he said we will see when I come back he was 50 if I jump again and he didn't get back but he, he's super happy now uh, that I am running a school and still in the sports and happy and you know participating in in uh, in this yeah what did your mom think of it <laughs> I often um, ask her and 
she, she have the answer of saying, I was so scared with your father that when you start base jumping, um, he has made the pass for you because he, he was really at the beginning of the sports where he, I remember he was throwing some mannequins, like, like dead men, mannequins, mannequins with some new packing job to, to, to see and, and filming to see how it uh, acts, you know? Amazing. Yeah. And he was building his own harness sometimes. So he was really at the beginning. And I think my mother w was very stressed because she knows that it was a new sport that those guys were thinking to. He was truly a pioneer. Yeah, exactly. And um, and when it comes to me, I think she was also so in confidence, uh, so uh, confident, uh, confident, confident with uh, his uh, her husband that who uh, <laughs> the best teacher can be only a dad. Huh? Okay, so, <laughs> so she was confident yeah, in yeah, his she teaching was, ability to yeah, share, yeah, yeah. you know, his good experience yeah, with you. Yeah, interesting. Mm -mm. I'm not sure. Um, Yours. <laughs> you know, like I'm now a father of two sons and uh, I have mixed feelings about, I mean, obviously I'm, it's going to depend a lot on their, their nature, just mm -hmm. like, you know, you were very mm. calm and mm. that will definitely shape my, my judgment on it. But I can say right now, if they, both of my sons go, eh, I'm not really into that. I'll be like, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> my daughter, the oldest one, she's 13 and she say, oh, maybe one day I wanted to do bay jump, but I know I have to do skydive first and I would yeah. be happy to do this with dad. Are you so, going to teach her if she's got 30 skydives? I don't know. I must, I mean, it's the same answer as you. I mean, okay. I, I need to know the person before saying how it will be because maybe she will need more and maybe, she, maybe the mentality and the gear has moved a lot and maybe we'll do like one year of slider down in this place and it will be perfect. I don't know. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's, <laughs> um, it seems like it's pretty well established that you need to have, uh, substantially more skydives to be accepted into any school. Mm -mm. Um, but then you, you think it's really based on the person. Like are you going to take someone who's a, a, you know, steep skier and, uh, it seems very calm yep. Yep. over someone like maybe who's just only a skydiver and has like 300 jumps and maybe yep. it still isn't ready. Mm -mm. For me, the numbers gives an answer, but it doesn't give the, the last words because I think, um, if you're like, um, a, a, a moto pilot, you know how to take decision in speed, for example, if you're a, a, a diver, like a diver who jumped from 30 meters, how you can learn him how, how to do an exit. He, he can do like three flips yeah. within half a second. You. So yeah. if you tell him, oh, put your body a bit like this, then his skills that he needs to learn will be only under canopy. He, he will be exiting like perfectly for base, for example. So I really take uh, like a overall experience talk with those guys. I spend hours uh, talking with them and I have always the same answer is like telling them, Hey, it's your project. I'm only here to help you to making it, but I won't be jumping with you in the air. And if you forget something, telling you in your ear. So you have to be motivated. You have to learn your stuff, do your homework and, um, and know where you're going to. And I will be here to answer all your question, but if you're ready at uh, 92 jumps, then you're ready at 92. And some people t sometimes tell me, oh, I'm calling you and we spend an hour, but I think I will come in a year because I have, I have 150 and I think I need more. And then they do more jumps, skydiving, and then they come back the year after. So if you could, um, 
like uh, type in a formula for the very best characteristics that would make the ideal student, let's say like uh, certain kinds of experience and personality traits. What, calm. What, what yeah, calm. Someone calm. Um, good reflex, you know. Um, middle middle age who have also who have already an experience in life you know having trouble in his personal life in works uh, uh, in couples for example who have Had some adversity uh, experience some adversity okay yeah is that what is that what you, you're saying I, I don't know that word but okay okay people will understand and um multi-sports also like crossing sports helps a lot People who do speed ride, people uh, who do slack line and uh, I don't know, like rope jump or um, uh, even an athlete from another sport, he know how to build a progression and he know that the progression is not linear. You can sometimes need to put one step behind or one step back, another step to, to make the progression. So people who are uh, athletes uh, helps a lot. And... Um, Yeah, and after an, an experience, an enough experience in skydiving, that will be something ideal. You, did, you didn't mention paragliding. Uh, I know yeah. that you don't have a, a, a huge paragliding. Uh, excuse me, you don't have a huge paragliding background, but you've done some paragliding. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's that and speed flying, speed riding is, I think, uh, some of the best sports that really they can prepare you uh, for the micrometeorology. And then that air awareness, mm. um, you know, this is outside of skydiving, of course, mm. but, um, but you say like motocross and, and, uh, slacklining and stuff is also very helpful. I mean, these people yeah. are, are, are very coordinated and you need some coordination. Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. Huh? Speed riding and paragliding helps a lot because it, it, um, take off all the, uh, the action after opening, I mean, easy for you because, You know, you have been flying in some wind condition that is uh, uh, hard sometimes and they know how to land. And so it they have less to think because it's a really, really um, psychological sports. Also, we need to deal with the stress because jumping in, I mean, in real is not that difficult. I mean, jumping well is difficult, but the, 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 the movement of jumping It's nothing technical. It's not like uh, driving a sports car with a real big engine. I mean, in, on a on a race. So, um, yeah, I totally agree. I think that uh, base jumping, uh, and particularly wingsuit base jumping, is uh, the easiest sport that I practice. You know, uh, mountain biking, uh, paragliding, climbing, all these different things that I do. Wingsuiting is the easiest, but. You got to be good when you need it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you might only need it, you know, a handful of times for your entire career, but it's fucking worth it. Mm -hmm. um, I, uh, this is an interesting question. You gave all like personality traits and then some like, sports they do. Like I uh, did some jumps with Alex and Martin this year. And I would, I would say that they were the most prepared beginner wingsuit base jumpers ever. Okay. Right. Like absolute wizard in the tunnel. Martin has also been quite good as an instructor now and lots of skydiving, um, paragliding professionals. Mm -hmm. Um, both of them are instructors for paragliding and, uh, Alex was a, a mountain guide. Was mm -hmm. he a mountain guide or, a, um, a ski instructor? One of the two, I can't remember, but lots of experience in the mountains. 
And then the maturity, what mm -hmm. am I forgetting? Paragliding, mountaineering, mm -hmm. um, you know, speed riding, all of these different sports, you know, understanding danger and then coming to the sport at a time where they're calmed down like a little mm -hmm. bit, like middle mm -hmm. age, like yeah. you said, mm -hmm. right? Like that's, a, that plays a really big factor in yeah. your risk, um, Assessment? tolerance. Yeah. Tolerance. Your assessment as well. Yeah. But mm -hmm. you know, when you're young you're like 18, you're like, fuck it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's send it. And mm -hmm. when you get a little bit older, you remember those times you sent it. It's like, ah, that hurts a little bit. You know, I got that little pain in my knee every day because of that. And you know, like you're just a little bit calmed down and, And then another thing too is um, having your ego in check, right? Like um, you talked about it earlier and I, that's that really like your humility around your accident and being able to reflect back on it and just like being honest with yourself saying like, I really didn't want anyone to know because I was embarrassed. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a really big learning point and uh, not operating because of like a reputation or, um, you know, we all want to feel good. We all like being uh, commended on our, uh, on our activities. And, you know, and this is where I think social media comes in for a lot of people. I feel like you've had, um, you, you are mostly on social media to, um, publicize your school now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you have Less. any, do you, do you talk to your students about the camera and, yeah. and, yeah. and, and yeah. what social media can, how both that can play as far as roles go and decision-making and danger. And that was part of my accident. I was, I was filming someone. If I was not filming, I never had this accident. So yeah, yeah. I, I told them that the camera can, can focus you on something else. And uh, I told them also to be aware that social media can bring you and in a way that you don't want. Um, also to be um, uh, um, to be very careful with the community, you know, by showing some stuff that it's, for example, uh, illegal, like an access to a building. If you put it on YouTube, for example, then they will know that this place is weak and they will put like uh, more barriers and stuff. So uh, the community won't be happy, for example. And it is the same for for other example. And 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 the, sometimes the community can be. Um, uh, really uh, uh, aggressive on some person, and 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 it's hard to um, to get to get um, to get stick with a, with an image of you by the social media, where sometimes it's not your real uh, personality. You understand what I mean? So what I understood there is that there's an element of distraction, just focusing on, 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 a, an objective. That's the first thing. And then second, there's ethics. Yeah. The ethics, that's another thing, but also the judgment from the community. You can be a real person, a real good person, but by showing like a stupid things, all the community will think that you're stupid. And then you keep the, this personality. I mean, everybody thinks you're real stupid, but you are not. You make only one day right. a stupid thing and you're a really smart guy and, and um, you can stick an image on, on, on someone. And I also want to say that you're not the same person uh, on the web that in reality. I know some person, they are really aggressive on message, uh, on yes. forums and stuff like this. And in real, they are not so aggressive. That means... They, they don't want to show the same by being behind their, their keyboard is easier to tell things that in real person also. So yeah. some, that, that's what I mean also. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Cause yeah. it's this podcast, uh, a common theme for us has been, uh, the challenge or a topic that we've discussed in depth has been confronting other people that you jump with mm -hmm. friends, um, partners, whatever, being able to communicate about, um, 
all of these things you just mentioned, danger, mm. distraction, mm. ethics, mm. this can be super difficult. It may be even one of the most difficult elements of our sport. Um, so that is something that you tell your students right away is like, Hey, look, this can be difficult. Like, uh, not right away, but at sure. the end of the course, because we have less things to do, but I, I talk about the community and the, the camera and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end of the course. Yeah. They are asking, I mean, they are already on the web. They, they saw, mo they saw, uh, um, they saw film and stuff like this. They are already on forum because they were looking for some information. So they know how things is dealing. They, they see that. There is only a few people who are always answering and, you know, so they are aware already, but sometimes they ask, hey, what do you think we should do to, to, to keep a clean uh, image of ourselves, not doing stupid things, not being categorized? So, yeah. Okay. So they're asking how to have a good rep, keep a yeah. good reputation. Yeah. 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 And, and act a good way also. They want, they want to be good, good people in, in, in the sports. Right. Yeah. They want to make friends, <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, mm. that's true. Right. We all mm. want to make friends. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit about some key elements that we, we've talked like in general about your school and some of the things that you want to impart on your students. Are there, is there a common theme? Is there a particular thing that you like to share? Is there, is there something that key ingredients that you think that we haven't touched on already as far as advice that you give to people as they're starting their journey on base jumping? Step by step. I told them step by step. It's always, I often told them because they want to go fast now. I mean, everything is accessible, the wingsuit, the mono tracking suits, um, technical gear is here and, and, and by clicking, you can have it at home, you know, very easily. I tell them it's always better to be um, experimented with an intermediate toy instead of being intermediate with an expert toy. You have pleasure, you have, you're not scared, you make good progression, you can have fun instead of having fear, doesn't know what you're doing and can have an accident. So I always told them, go to the end of the, the, the toy you're playing with. And once you think you're done, then you can move to um, another step. This is really with um, now with the wingsuit and the stars. At the, at the course with a two-piece and they at, almost at the end of the course they say hey where do you think I can put my not my but when can I buy a mono tracking suit how many jumps uh, how many years of jumping I say hey, hey hey slow down slow down go jumping on your own <laughs> and you will see and sometimes they are asking hey do you how long it takes do you think to jump this aura for I say hey I don't know your I don't know how much jump you will do in a year I don't know if you will have you be current or if you have the good if you understand how to uh, find an angle of attack and all this stuff so you will see i told them you will see just just concentrate of what you are doing and 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 have fun so really that's the 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 the, the question that are often asking me yeah they are so you're trying me. to get them to just respect the progression uh you, do you think that's like the key yeah. ingredient for for mm -hmm. enjoy having a long yeah. um, career. healthy career yeah um, a lot of times us, uh, more experienced, us old guys will say, we'll tell people to slow down. And, um, I think that it's, it's almost the opposite. Like you shouldn't slow down. You should hurry up and do all the right things, ah, Okay, you yeah. know, and, and hurry up and enjoy where you're at in the progression yeah, right yeah. now, you know, hurry up and go get some tunnel, mm. you know, hurry up and do some more skydives, hurry up and go and, um, you know, do that jump till it's perfected, mm. you know, in your two piece tracking jump. 
nobody wants to slow down. You know? Yeah, true. We're, we're going to do one of the fastest sports in the world. And <laughs> you expect us people to slow down? No, it's like, uh, you know, experience, being current and progressing is all super important. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I... I don't think that you're telling people to slow down, but it's an interesting thought experiment. I don't tell them to slow down. I tell to take things step by step. But now I can tell them to hurry up, to 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 read everything <laughs> that is on the web, to right. to hurry up, to talk to the old people of how they progress. Yeah, that that's a good advice. Thanks. Yeah, and do things in your off time. Like maybe you're not coming to to base jumping like me with paragliding experience. But mm. hey, like look, you can do that in off season, or mm. or you don't live in the Alps. Look, there's a you have a paragliding hill where you can mm. learn about mm. angle of attack you know mm. angle of incidence mm. uh thermals and how the air changes and mm. there, there's so many ways to learn that you know like what we just said that being ready to respond to that emergency moment even if it's just one once in your entire base career uh, will help prepare you for mm. i have also some example where people were very fast in progression and because it was fast they didn't last that much because maybe they were um they didn't spend enough time and now they they quit almost yeah um so because they were too fast in progression so and 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 once you are wingsuiting for example the biggest suits um you you are not that much jumping slider down back again so take time to do your slider down take time to do your tracking because maybe you will not go back after yeah so uh, this is also you might what be I missing out yeah yeah so don't go too fast take take time cherish those moments yeah. yeah i know i mean when i think about some of my favorite jumps it's uh it's not always like the biggest wingsuit it's like or the sickest line it's mm. uh the people around me mm. and uh you know the jokes mm -hmm. and uh, the, the the sharing the experience mm. and then You know, the biggest, sickest wingsuits are pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> There's no lying. <laughs> It gives you a lot of uh, new place yeah. to jump from. Yeah, for sure. Mm -mm. Rock, this has been a fantastic conversation. <laughs> yeah. I think that we could go on and on uh, for hours oh, and hours. <laughs> and uh, instead of doing that, let's uh, let's just promise to do it again real soon. Yeah, I would be happy to. <laughs> All right. Thanks yeah. for everything today. And, thanks, uh, Let's go make a jump. <laughs> All right, so Matt, that was the rock interview. What'd you think? Man, what a great interview. And uh, dropping that bomb of a story where uh, he becomes a fallen angel, exciting. Uh, there are a couple of points that I'd love to jump into, starting with, dude, why do people not admit their mistakes more often? And why is there like some kind of assumption that just because you're highly experienced that you don't make mistakes? What's the deal with that? Well, I thought he approached it uh, fairly straight with the way that he felt at the moment and uh he felt embarrassed and he felt uh ashamed of his actions and i think as well he didn't want to scare his family which is just uh you know that's the truth and it seems like you know what he said that he had evolved in the way he thought about the 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 accident and uh, seems a little bit more open to sharing that with people now Yeah, I, I hear you. But like the shame and embarrassment part, I mean, that's not just like him. That's many, almost everyone that makes a mistake 
you know, feels that shame and embarrassment. And I'm kind of curious, like why, you know, if everyone is making mistakes and no one is, uh, devoid of them, then why so much emotional baggage carried with, uh, something that is common? Yeah. Well, I'm not saying that hiding these things is a good thing, but nobody likes to lose. And when you're in the game of base and you go in, you just lost. So whether or not that's something um, people want to be straight with or that's something that they need to digest for years on end, uh, that's a very personal question, I think. I think you hit it right on the head there by saying the word lose, right? And you know, there's some kind of competitive nature here where like, you don't want to, don't tell anyone that I got injured. Don't tell anyone, you know? And it's like, who, who cares? Right. Like, well, Taz didn't care. She came right out and said it. Well, I mean, it took some cajoling for her to share that story. But, uh, once everyone started asking her about it because the cat was out of the bag, then she decided like, this was the most effective way to do it. But I'm, I'm more like poking towards like all the people, and, you know, myself included at some points where we don't want to share any of our mistakes. We don't want to like on the birds page, for instance, people don't post on there until like the incident was like three years old or, or older, you know, once they've like, you know, gotten over it, I guess. And, and not like uh, they're not so uh, worried about like the culture's reprisal. And I guess like my my question is like, if why are we so afraid of that? Like who has got? a stone to throw out here where like you stick your hand up and go like, I made this mistake. And somebody goes, Oh, you fucking dumbass!" Like, hmm. well, let me throw the question back at you. I, I know you might have some video out there of uh, a, a tree landing. Um, I don't see that on birds. Oh man. Actually, I don't have that video. Uh, <laughs> and if I did have that video, I would definitely show it because it is a perfect example of why you want to try and fly your parachute first and not get out of line twists first. Like I got these line twists heading back towards large trees and I thought, okay, I can like quickly get out of these line twists and then make the turn. And as soon as I was out of the line twists, my canopy didn't have the roll rate to get like clear of the trees. And so I ended up like snagging one of the trees on an end cell and getting hung up. <laughs> but like, it is a, a perfect uh, example of that. Unfortunately, like this isn't like GoPro one or two days back when we had like hard drives for everything and no cloud storage and several computers later and it's gone. How convenient. Hey, but, but I do <laughs> post my stuff on birds. Like I've posted my wall strike on birds, my friend. Uh, okay. So, all right. Okay. Well, okay. Moving on, moving on. I, well, actually before we move on, like this is something that's come up in every single sport that I've ever instructed. Right. And like, it's something that I used to tell my kids when I was snowboarding, like, they'd be like, oh, well you never fall. And I'm like, no, that's absolutely not true. Like I might not fall doing the stuff that I'm teaching you how to do, but if, if you guys aren't falling, then like, we're not actually trying hard enough. You know, and, and the people who are really wanting to progress, they are falling the most and they're learning how to fall properly so that they can, you know, get this trick in the bag. And so uh, I also like bring that same mentality to like, you know, the, the people that I'm, you know, helping along with their base progression. They're like, oh, well, you know, Matt doesn't make any mistakes. And I'm like, fuck you, dude. Like no jump is perfect for me either. You know, like if, if I can't pick out a mistake, it's because I don't have the vision on it. And there's someone somewhere that can like look at the jump, even if it was executed really well, 
and say, oh yeah, you made a small mistake there. You could have done that better. So like, I kind of wonder why we don't have that mentality of like admitting our mistakes early and often so that we can actually progress. It seems like when we're afraid of admitting them, we're really like hampering our progression. Okay. And there was, what was some, <laughs> there was another point there. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on, <laughs> moving on. Uh, why, why are we scared of an association? I mean, I'm not saying that we should have an association, uh, but like, what, what is the apprehension here? Uh, yeah, well, there, the apprehension there is control, right? And, uh, there is a, a, I think you'd have to be a French, you'd have to be a French skydiver or exposed to French skydiving to quite appreciate the amount of control in a sport as that they experience. And, and I would, I would go far so far to say that that's the last thing that base jumpers in France want for their activity is okay, that but that's a slippery control. slope argument. That's total slippery slope argument. And like, I, I understand exactly what you're going through because I, I, I deplore the the USPA. I, I dislike them with such like fiery passion that you have no idea, right? Like, there's that organization is so flawed in in what it's doing that when I asked everyone I respected in the, in us skydiving to like run for a board seat, to try and make change, all of them looked at me like I was crazy. Like it was a total waste of their time that the conversation was offensive, you know? So like, yes, I totally understand why an association, like why we might be afraid of it based on like us thinking that we're going to be one of these skydiving associations that does nothing for its membership, except for, you know, try and influence like, you know, and, and control in a strange way and not educate. Right. But we're not skydivers. We don't do anything the way that skydivers do it. And so like, why would we be afraid of becoming skydiving when we are clearly not? Okay. Well, I think a slippery slope would require it to be a chain of events that would lead it to something negative when we have direct representations of what uh, organizations revolved around sports in France do to those sports. So it's a, a concrete and direct example. Uh, so I think that, well, actually, I know because it's been incredibly loud, the opposition to it uh, within French forums, that they don't want it to be this way because they want it to remain free. Whether or not that's beneficial for the sport in general is is left to be seen. However, we're also... Free like monetarily? No, as far as like regulation on sites. I mean, we we dove pretty deep into that as far as how it affected Chamonix and how... But it wasn't actually a, an organization that or an association that saved paragliding as we we uh, spoke of in Chamonix it was a club which can operate outside of an association or a federation as as it runs in France so See, again we're all like worried about regulation but like why does a base jumping association need to even try to be a regulatory body i'll give you another example from the climbing world like you've got the AMGA which works alongside the access fund and all they do is try and educate people and improve access. And without those two organizations, climbing in the United States would be not even close to what it is. You know, like okay, so climbers wait. would be kicked out of Yosemite. This is a great example. So what do they do to promote access? They lobby. 
they lobby for, uh, you know, the, the greater community because the greater community are a bunch of transient dirt bags. Right. And so there needs to be somebody that's like minding the store that has a law degree that can talk to people in local government and, and talk reasonably. And so the access fund is, is that regulatory body or not rate. Sorry. That is that, um, <laughs> advocating <laughs> body. Yeah. And so the, the AMGA and the access fund are that, um, yeah, exactly. Advocating body. Yeah. Well, maybe when we're at the maturity level and age of climbing, we can do the same, uh, as it stands and through my experience of sitting in on meetings, uh, to help organize base jumping in Chamonix, we're a bunch of individual voices that are driven by fear that our own personal activity will be jeopardized. Right. And that's, that's, see, that's the conflict for me. Cause the same thing happens in the United States, right? It's just a bunch of like fear-based thinking where people are like, Oh, I'm so afraid of this might happen. And you're like, well, but aren't you going to be the one that's in control of what happens? Like how can, who, who are the people that are going to come through and, you know, be the assholes here? I don't know. I don't, I don't get it, but you know, Hey, I, I guess like, eh, <laughs> I, I don't I don't know. I'm kind of at a loss. Like there are a bunch of other, uh, associations that actually improve their sports. You know, like Patty is not a bad organization. They kick ass. Yeah, sure. It, it helps too, because when you go traveling, uh, you can rely on a authorized dealer, uh, and uh, yeah, absolutely, right. And uh, like think... the AASI for snowboarding, for instance, and skiing. Man, did they improve education! I received the best instructor education than I have ever received from those two organizations. Well, I'll tell you, I feel like I'm finding myself as the devil's advocate in this. Uh, in this argument, but, uh, I'm, I'm totally with you. Uh, I think that, yeah. I think that we need to organize. I think that it needs to be, uh, something that we can come to a governing body or a government, uh, with a single voice to get what we want. And that's increased access. It's just so strange. It's strange that like we tout ourselves as a family, you know, this community, right? But as soon as somebody says association, it's like this dirty word that like, no, 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 no. We can't be an association. No, no. We have to be a family, right? And you're like, well, but an association just has respect for like, you know, gets respect from the rest of the larger society, right? Like it, it has the ability to talk to greater society. Whereas like no one's, no one's inviting a family to like, into a boardroom or into a, like a community meeting or, you know, so like, it's the same exact thing. We just put a different stamp on it. And then somebody raises their hand and goes like, yes, I know how to talk to local government. Thank you. I will do that for everyone. Anyway, next point. Uh, I, I found this, these like points really interesting in the interview. Uh, why are we looking down on coursework? Like that's kind of the same is flip side of the same coin. Like, it's an organized way of teaching people. And yet, like, as soon as somebody says like course, you Sorry, know, it gets who a was, lot of hate. Who was looking down on, oh, you mean in France? Why were the, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I that's think the same thing that happens it, in the United States too. I think he answered it pretty uh, articulately. The fact is that, I mean, 
there's a, a level of jealousy there. It, it's not something it, France in particular is very uh, unique in the way that they address education in sports. It's very regimented and organized and base jumping falls without outside of those boundaries. And so there was a lot of question marks as far as that goes. And so when he stepped forward and took the risk, I feel like a lot of people, and also Brock felt like a lot of people were jealous. And uh, that's... All right. Well, if, the, if that's the, like truly the case, then I've got a statement for all of the jealous people out there. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Just shut the fuck up. Okay? Like, look, if you want to teach, stand up, raise your hand, go to whoever is like making a course and make their course better. Right. And if, if that's not the case and you like actually think that they are not prepared, ill prepared to do that thing, then stand up and say that. Right. And if not, then shut the fuck up because like I have no beef with courses. I do have beef, severe beef with some people that run courses because I think like they've got too much facilitation. They're, you know, not mentoring the people that they like actually bring through the course. Like that's a huge problem. For instance, like we've got courses running in here in America where, uh, or in the United States where, uh, they're doing like, you know, 10 person courses every week. And that's far too many people for those to like actually mentor through the pro like the process. And so where do those people end up? They get dumped on the larger community. You know, they end up on the exit points with us knowing nothing and we have to pick up the pieces and we're not getting paid for any of that. And so we look at those courses <laughs> and we're like, dude, what the shit? Like support your own people for the love of God, you know, and they're also the people that just try and undercut the market, you know, by coming through, having just learned how to base jump. And now all of a sudden they're an instructor because they want beer money. And to those people also, it's like, dude, like pull your fucking head out of your ass. But to be jealous about somebody that's been in the sport for a decade, who's starting a course who's structuring it properly, who's mentoring the people that come through it. Like, I, huh? Coursework itself in my mind is, is not the enemy as, as you stated, right? Like it's a more organized way of disseminating information and is definitely not a replacement for mentorship because, you know, no one's going to learn everything they need to know off of a course. But like how many people in the mentorship game are going to be able to put that much time and dedication into that introductory progression. Yeah. As you say, I mean, I've seen some really horrible courses and I've seen some really horrible mentorships and, uh, I don't think there is a right way, but there's definitely the wrong way and, uh, whatever works for people the best and they're able to find the right people to implement that learning path, then, uh, yeah, I support that. Yeah. So like, I think we just need to refine what we fucking hate about courses and stand up and say that, right. Specifically to the people that we, you know, have problems with, not just like across the board saying, you know, coursework is, you know, the, the end of base jumping, I think facilitation is and people spreading misinformation definitely is. Uh, but on to the next point, uh, and my like last kind of uh, one that I'm interested in, uh, which is uh, a holdover from our discussion with Brett about fear, uh, the exposure to fear. Both of you guys say that you never experience fear during a base jump. Was, did no, I, it wasn't correct, during right? a base jump. It was in flight. In flight. Yeah. yeah. In flight. And uh, so my question is like, how are you uh, 
uh, characterizing fear? What, what is, what does that response look like to you? How would I characterize fear, uh, in the realm of a base jump? Uh, it would be, yeah, it would be with the emotional, uh, impact and the physical impact of like the adrenaline rush, um, the, um, like a sp- Wait, let me let me back that. So that's a difficult question because I, f- I experience fear at the exit point, and like in Brett's episode, we talked extensively about how we're down regulating through pattern breathing and the physiological response that comes with fear, meaning elevated heart rate, you know, adrenaline, uh, this twitchiness, and so that's how you characterize fear in in flight. In flight, it feels very smooth. It feels very like there isn't a big spike that is uh, that that fear feels like when you're zipped up and you step close to the edge. Uh, that excitement that comes with uh, apprehension and unknown, uh, worrying about my safety. In flight, it's smooth. It's there's no worry. There is this state that we talk about called flow. Yeah. And see, okay. You've, you've given me a perfect thing to hook on, right? You're characterizing fear, uh, by this experience of like elevated heart rate and adrenalized and like shakiness and all this stuff. And I would say that that is fear leading to panic and something that you guys talked about in the podcast of, you know, getting past, like if if you're if you deal with exposure for a long enough time, you just can't have that response be your fear response. Like if you're on the wall for days on end, you know, and you're afraid and it's like taking all the energy from you because you're shaking and, you know, panicking, then man, you're gonna make it like, you know, one day through that adventure and you're gonna be exhausted. And okay, so well, I'm just I'm just looking up the definition of fear. And it says an unpleasant emotion caused by the threat of danger, pain, or harm. So never right. in flight have I felt an unpleasant emotion caused by the threat of danger, pain, or harm. Okay. But this is, this is the current understanding, right? Definitions are flexible. You know, let's, uh, let's look at the definition of figurative and literal. Right now they are defined as the same thing. Right. So like we know that our language is fluid and we know that people like constantly progress their understanding. Right. And so I would say the one problem with that definition is unpleasant emotion. Most people believe that fear is some static emotion that is never going to change. And yet you talk on the podcast about realigning your response to fear through exposure. And I think that that is totally correct. You can absolutely change the dials, the triggers, the responses to fear until instead of like it being this heightened, you know, adrenalized thing, you just kind of get like a signal in your head that's kind of like, you know, the the Spider-Man response. Like, it doesn't have to be unpleasant. I would say that your use of fear is all-encompassing where you could be more descriptive by stepping out of this one word of fear and uh, using other words to describe these sensations. I think that you use it as an umbrella term that I don't necessarily do. I'm using every part of the rest of that definition, an emotional response to danger. 
but your emotions don't have to be like panic emotions. They can be anything. And it's up to you to, you know, to kind of retrain your brain and mind and body to give you the response that's like appropriate for the context. When I started climbing, all it was, was panic response when I got afraid. And eventually I just trained that out. Like I, I couldn't do it over a period of, of, you know, days. And so like that response got exhausted out of me. And then when I felt afraid, it was more of like just this, you know, flat cognitive processing of like danger is present. <laughs> yeah. I think through all of our discussions on fear and while I hope they're not our last, I think that for me, this continual theme that it's subjective and that language is limited to exchange our personal experience with what we think fear is. And so uh, in general, when people talk about fear, they talk about an unpleasant experience. And when they think about base jumping, they think about this terror, this fear, this something that's unpleasant and flying through the air in between trees over hills and then, you know, taking, having a big flare, opening up a parachute for the majority of people is horrifying. And that sense of fear would be unpleasant so that when we talk about how I don't feel fear while in flight, I think what we're trying to say is, is that we're not scared of dying. And I can only speak for myself, but I think that through this conversation, that's what we came, that's the point we came to is that we're not scared of crashing into rocks. It's, we're not scared of bodily harm and we don't have any of that, you know, unpleasantness that comes along with it. Yeah. And I guess my, my further refinement is like, I wanted to ask you what feeling fear actually feels like and try and like present an argument based on what you guys had already kind of, uh, touched on in the exposure world that you can feel something totally custom when it comes to fear. It's not an inborn physical response that must be this like shaky, unpleasant thing. And yeah, that's why I, I say that from personal you. experience. I think, I think that when you experience fear, it's, it signals uh, potential danger through your subjective experience. And then what you choose to do with that will then either bring it out of fear or it remains and get worse and then takes you into terror potentially. Mm. Well, we're going to have to disagree on this one, but let's re let's uh, revisit. I, I, my position at the moment is that I can feel fear without it being unpleasant. Excellent. All right, Matt, another great discussion. Yeah, what a great interview. Thanks very much for uh, taking the reins on that one. And uh, I do hope that we have him back. All right, thanks, everybody. And big shout out to Mark Stockwell for uh, the editing and sound mixing for this episode. And by the way, if uh, anyone wants to come on the podcast to share some of their thoughts and knowledge, uh, please hit us up. Mm-hmm.